Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. Happy Easter. Today, we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, from the dead. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that makes Christianity different from every other religion in the world. Buddha is still in the grave. Muhammad is still in the grave. Confucius is still in the grave. Jesus Christ is risen. Let's open our Bible now to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and remind ourselves of this incredible truth that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is indeed risen from the dead. 
and so grievous in the sight of our Heavenly Father that this torture that Jesus chose to undergo was necessary for the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our souls. So, Father, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for your love. But above all, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Lord Jesus, we thank you today that today's a good Friday for us, Lord. Certainly it was a it was an unspeakable Friday for you. I thank you, Lord, for, for going to the cross for us. We worship you. We thank you and we praise you, Lord, for the for doing the unimaginable in your love for us, that we might be reconciled to you and to our Heavenly Father and to the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, we worship you today. Our risen Savior, Lord. Lord, we proclaim today that you are risen. We thank you that you are risen. And we worship you, our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open your word. Give us eyes that see and ears that hear. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Today, we're going we're gonna to go through 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. Um, just if you haven't uh, read and studied first Corinthians 15, it is a, it is a chapter that, that really could be a book on its own. Um, it is longer than, um, in itself than, you know, several books of the Bible. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's longer obviously than second John, third John It's longer than Jude, um, it's longer than uh, Philemon. Um, it's actually longer than Titus. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it, it's a long book, right? It, it, it boasts, uh, you know, fifty eight verses, um, and it, it centers on the resurrection of Christ. So, First Corinthians fifteen verses one through eight. Happy Easter. Jesus Christ is risen. We love you, Lord, and we bless you. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the, and then to the twelve, after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Um, again, um, 
I, I could not, I, I cannot say enough about this entire chapter. First Corinthians 15 is just, is incredible. Certainly at some point, um, you know, we need to go through and, and, and do this entire chapter. Um, but for today, for today, we're just going to do these eight verses and, uh, and I mean, there's so much in here. So verse one, now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preach to you. The old church fathers used to say in, 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 in years past, you know, 100, 200, 300 years ago, um, you know, one of the old disciplines of the Christian faith would be to remind yourself of the gospel, to remember the gospel just daily to think about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Gospel means good news. To think about the good news of Jesus Christ. To think about it in the context of understanding the bad news. That you were separated from God. In your sin. Heading to hell. Heading for an eternity in hell. Of utter misery separated from the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the gospel is the good news that your Savior has come, that Jesus Christ came into the world, that he lived a perfect, sinless life on your behalf, that he then died a perfect, torturous death on your behalf, and that he is indeed alive and risen today. And if you stand on that truth, if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you've received him as your Lord and Savior, John 1.12 says that to all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. We are, we are actually reconciled with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit by receiving Jesus Christ, by trusting and relying on Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our soul. This, this, this gospel, this, the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done on our behalf and in our place is something we want to remind ourselves of. The more we remember the gospel, the more we think about the gospel, the more we do this as a discipline, the Christian disciplines, right? Um, spending time in the scripture, spending time in the Bible, right? Which is what we do here in all of these teachings and all these videos, right? We're, we're teaching the scriptures. We're spending time in the scriptures. Spending time in the word of God is a, is, you know, a Christian discipline, discipline of the highest importance. We need to discipline ourselves to do it when we want to and when we don't, when we feel like it and when we don't feel like it. We need to be disciplined in spending time in our Bible, spending time in prayer, in thanksgiving, in praise, in worship. Um, and all of these are, are Christian disciplines. They're things that we do to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ, our Lord. Um, but then, 
like I said, um, the old church fathers, again, from hundreds of years ago, would talk about this discipline of preaching the gospel to yourself, thinking about the gospel every day, reminding yourself of all that Jesus has done on your behalf and in your place. And as you practice this discipline of thinking about Jesus and reminding yourself of the gospel, it begins to build this, this heart of thanksgiving in you, a heart of, um, you know, a heart of gratitude and growing to just understand and appreciate and love Jesus as you meditate on, on what he did for you. And certainly what he did for me as I meditate on what he did for me. So Paul says, now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. It's our job not only to remind ourselves, but to remind others of the gospel. It's not just a one-time event where you just share the gospel one time. The person says, I believe it. You're all good. Never think about Jesus again. Um, you know, that's just, that that's, that's an absurdity, right? Um, it's something we want to remind ourselves, something we need to stand on, right? Certainly, we, we give our lives to Jesus Christ and we receive Jesus Christ. And when we do that, we do become children of our Heavenly Father. But it's something we spend our whole life standing on, remaining in, always knowing our need of Jesus Christ. There is nothing we can do to save ourselves. Nothing. There's nothing we can do to help save ourselves. We are ho hopeless, desperate, helpless, hell-bound sinners that need to be rescued. And that can only happen in receiving Jesus Christ as our only Lord and Savior. Jesus declared out of his own mouth in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus himself declared this, that it's only in him, only in Jesus Christ, that we can have our sins forgiven, that we can come into relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and that we can ultimately go to heaven when we die. That's what it says, right, Pop? Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. So like John 1.12, the Corinthians had received this gospel and they were standing on the gospel, standing in the gospel. John 1.12, to all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, Jesus, God gave the right to become children of God, right? Verse two, by this gospel, you are saved. By the good news of Jesus Christ and you trusting and relying on Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul, you're saved from going to hell for all eternity and you're brought into relationship with God the Father. All of your sins, past, present, and future are forgiven and you, you go to heaven when you die to be with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. What does that mean? Verse two, by this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. So 
it's not just about remembering something that happened, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, I prayed a prayer and so I'm saved. That's not what this says. Okay. And that's not the reality of what a Christian is. A Christian is someone who is currently actively trusting in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of their sins and the salvation of their soul. Right now, currently today, are you standing and clinging to Jesus alone for the forgiveness of your sins and to go to heaven when you die? We cannot rely on ourselves at all. We cannot rely on our good works at all. None of that helps us go to heaven. We can only have our sins forgiven and go to heaven when we humble ourselves and we throw ourselves at the mercy of the cross, at the mercy of Jesus, and trust in him and rely on him. Romans 10, 13 says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, right? Have you called out to Jesus? Have you humbled yourself and called out to him? It's not our words that save us, but it's Christ that saves us. But we use our words to communicate to him you know, have you humbly communicated to Jesus your desperate need of him, your hopelessness, your helplessness? Have you called out to him and said, Lord Jesus, I, I know that I am a sinful person. And Lord, I know that I cannot save myself. Jesus, I am hopeless, I'm helpless, and I'm desperate. But I believe you are the Son of God. And I believe the Bible, I believe that you came into this world and you lived a perfect life for me and that you died a perfect death for me. And I believe you are alive and risen today. And therefore, Lord Jesus, I ask you now to come into my heart and to be the Lord of my life and to save me from my sin and to bring me to heaven when I die. Lord Jesus, I place all my faith and trust and confidence and hope in you alone to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. That's how you enter into a relationship with God, is by utter, utterly humbling yourself, throwing yourself at the mercy of Jesus Christ, and humbly and desperately asking him to save you from your sin, to be the Lord of your life, knowing that he is your only hope from an eternity in hell. Now. All of us ought to have a time in our life where we certainly have done that. But the, the mark of it being genuine, the mark of your conversion to Jesus Christ being genuine, is that you hold firmly to this gospel. You hold firmly to this truth. That certainly you have received him at some point in your life, as John 1.12 says, to all who received him. Jesus, to those who believed in his name, Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus gave them the right to become children of God. But a Christian is someone who is currently and actively standing in that truth, standing in the truth, holding firmly to that truth today. So I'll ask you, are you standing in the truth of the gospel today? Are you holding firmly to that truth today? knowing that you are a hopeless, desperate sinner and only Jesus Christ. He is your only hope for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul. 
and to go to heaven when you die. Because Paul says in verse 2, otherwise you have believed in vain. What does that mean? That means that, that if at some point in your life you did pray and you did call out to the Lord and you did receive him, but now you say, yeah, no, I don't believe that anymore. No, I'm not holding to that. Yeah, I'm not sure what's true. Yeah, I don't know that Jesus Christ is the only way. Paul says you have believed in vain. Your belief was never genuine. It was never authentic. It was, it was in vain, right? It wasn't, it wasn't real. It wasn't true. It wasn't genuine, right? So a Christian, again, is someone who has received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, but they're currently standing and trusting and relying and clinging to Jesus alone presently for the forgiveness of their sins and the salvation of their soul. Verse 3. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Paul received the gospel from Jesus himself, right? If you turn to Galatians chapter 1, very powerful, very powerful testimony, Paul said. He says in verse 11, Galatians 1, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. This is Galatians chapter 1, two books later. I want you to know, verse 11, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something man made up. Verse 12, I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Hear that. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the only thing, the only reality for the forgiveness of humanity, for humanity going to heaven, the only way to have relationship with the triune God. The gospel is the only one that's not man-made. Every other religion besides biblical Christianity, right? Beginning in Genesis, right? And going all the way through to Revelation. Any, any religion that's not centered in the gospel of Jesus Christ is indeed man-made up, right? Now, obviously in Genesis, you know, even in Genesis 3, Jesus Christ is prophesied as coming, right? When Adam and Eve fall into sin, you know, there's a prophecy of Jesus Christ in Genesis 3 where God says, you know, I will put enmity between you and the woman and he will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. And that's what happened. Jesus crushed and destroyed Satan at the cross. He destroyed the, the power of sin. Uh, he destroyed the authority of the devil at the cross. Um, and there, obviously, you know, it says uh, the devil bruised his heel where, de where Jesus was was bruised for us and punished for us and died in our place and was punished in our place. So, but but from there, God calls a people, a Jewish people, right? And that goes all the way through the new the Old Testament. The Jewish people rebel against God uh, consistently throughout the Old Testament. The Messiah, Jesus, is prophesied beginning in Genesis 3, as I said, and throughout the scriptures, right? You remember Isaiah said, the virgin will be with child right? Um, and so 
the prophecy is of Jesus Christ go throughout the Old Testament, right? But then when you come onto the pages of the New Testament, that Messiah has, has been revealed and his name is Jesus and he's the savior of the world. So if you believe the Old Testament, then, and you do not believe the New Testament, you're incomplete, right? Every human being in the world, all 8 billion people need Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and the salvation of their soul. Um, whether you're Jewish or whether you're Gentile, um, the Bible, you know, has two groups of people. It separates all people into two groups. Those who are of Jewish heritage, Jews, and those who are not, like myself, Gentiles. If you're not Jewish, then you're a Gentile. But all human beings need Jesus Christ. Every human being needs to receive and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of their sins and the salvation of your soul. And Paul says in verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 15, For what I received... I passed on to you as of first importance, and we just read in Galatians 1, 11, and 12, that he received it. He didn't make it up, nor did man make it up. I'll say again, every other religion that's not biblical Christianity that comes out of the Bible from Genesis to, to Revelation is indeed man-made up or incomplete. So let's say you're, you know, you're a person who believes the Old Testament, but says you don't believe the New Testament. That's incomplete, right? Because the Old Testament said that a Savior would come, that a Messiah would come, and that only by receiving him and trusting him can we be forgiven of our sins and ultimately go to heaven when we die. For what I received, again, Paul didn't make this up. And you, you, you saw in Galatians, he said he wasn't even taught it by another man. All the rest of us were taught it. The, the disciples were taught by Jesus when they walked with him. Um, and Paul received it directly from revelation from Jesus Christ himself. The apostles didn't teach the gospel to Paul, didn't teach the good news to Paul that were saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Um, he got it directly from Jesus as well. He didn't get it as he walked with Jesus. He got it in an abnormal way through revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus revealed it to him. You'll remember in Acts 9, you know, Paul is, is persecuting Christians. He's having Christians put to death. And, you know, he's on his way to, to continue in this process. And, and Jesus knocks him off his horse. It says he fell to the ground and Jesus speaks to him from heaven. And blinds him. And Paul says, who are you, Lord? And Jesus says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Right? Um, you know, Jesus begins by knocking, off, knocking him off his horse and saying, you know, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And then Paul says, who are you, Lord? And Jesus says, I am Jesus who are, who you, whom you are persecuting. Now get up. And Paul gets up and he's blind. He has to be led into the, the town a man named Ananias comes to see him, lays his hands on Paul, prays for him. Paul receives his sight, and immediately he begins to preach that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, is the Savior, and he goes on to be the greatest Christian that ever lived and wrote half the New Testament. There are 27 books in the New Testament, Scott. 
and Paul wrote 13 of them, right? So what he says in verse 3, for what I received, he didn't make it up. The gospel is not made up by man, right? It's the only religion that's not man-made, right? Anything that's not in the Bible, right? For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, <clears throat> that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Paul said, this is what's most important. This is of first importance. Of all the important things, this is first. There are infinite benefits of knowing Jesus Christ. There are infinite benefits of walking with Jesus Christ. There are countless benefits of experiencing and growing in relationship with Jesus Christ. But this is what's the first and most important thing. I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. The scripture says that we are hopeless. Romans 3.23 says that all people have sinned. Every human being is sinful. Every human being has done wrong. And we all need a savior. Right, Esther? This is what's most important, that Jesus died for our sins. We've gotten to a place uh, in the church in 2022 where we, we don't want to talk about sin anymore. <clears throat> we talk about so many of the blessings that come with, with being with Jesus and receiving Jesus and walking with Jesus, and certainly that's true. But what's first important, what's most important is to understand that we are sinful, that we need a savior, that we are not it, that we cannot save ourselves, that none of the good things we do will take away the, the sin that we've committed. We're hopeless, desperate, helpless, and Jesus died for our sins. Our, plural, the entire world. I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. God has given his word that all human beings are sinful. The good news is that Jesus died for our sins, but we won't run to the good news until we first understand the bad news. And the bad news is that we are sinful, that we need a savior. And because of our sin, we're, we're, we're headed to hell. And only by receiving Jesus, trusting in Jesus and clinging to Jesus, can we be rescued from eternal hell come into relationship with the triune God and go to heaven. Verse four, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Again, when someone asks you, why do you believe that Jesus died for you? It's not because I told you. It's not because your pastor told you. It's not because your mom and dad told you. It's not because of, you know, secondary things, all the things he's done in your life. All those things may be true. But you believe it because it says it in your Bible. When someone says, why do you believe Jesus died on the cross? Because it says it in my Bible. It says it in the scriptures. Why do you believe he was buried? It's important that he was buried because if he wasn't buried, you don't bury someone till they're dead. Right? He was indeed buried and he was indeed raised from the dead. Right? All of this, it says it in my Bible, right? Why do you believe Jesus is, is resurrected this Easter Sunday? Because it says it in my Bible. God has given his word. The Bible is the living word of God, right? It is the actual word of God. 
So you believe primarily above all things. Now, yes, there is the experience of walking with Jesus. There is the way that he changed your life, right? All these things are true. But the primary reason you believe in Jesus Christ is because it says it in the scriptures. It says it in your Bible. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried according to the scriptures. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ that authenticates our Christian faith. What do I mean by that? When God the Father raised Jesus from the dead, he was, he was putting his seal of approval on what Jesus did at the cross on your behalf and in your place and on my behalf and in, and in my place. And by raising Jesus from the dead, God the Father was verifying, right, that what Jesus Christ did at the cross, that what Jesus did, the finished work of the cross, is sufficient for the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our soul, right? If God the Father was not satisfied with the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross, for the forgiveness of the sins of the world, he'd have left him in the grave. By raising Jesus from the dead, right? The resurrection of Jesus from the dead authenticates and validates every aspect of our Christian walk, of our Christian faith. And it is the receipt, so to speak, that Jesus paid the debt for the sin of the world but the resurrection, as some scholars have put it, is the receipt that it's paid, right? Sometimes things can get paid, but if you don't have a receipt, there's no proof that you paid it, right? By God the Father raising Jesus from the dead, these scholars I read use this example, that was the receipt that the work that Jesus did at the cross, that is, that is excruciating death on the cross, was sufficient completely in itself and completely satisfied the wrath of God the Father on sin. And when the Father raised Jesus from the dead, that was his receipt to you that you can fully trust in what Jesus Christ did on the cross and in him alone. And I'm going to validate that, God the Father said, by raising him from the dead. Three most important words in your Bible, Matthew 28, 6 and 7, he is risen, right? We worship a risen Savior today. And again, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is essential. And the fact that he was buried, your Bible says that he was buried. He was dead, okay? There, there you know, people make up all kinds of crazy things, the most plain an obvious and reasonable truth is that Jesus really is, mind you, a historical figure. That's common knowledge, right? If, if you don't believe in Jesus as a historical figure, well, I mean, you don't believe in any, any historical figures then, right? You don't believe in, you know, in uh, the Caesars. You don't believe in Alexander the Great. Um, you know, 
you don't believe in, you know, any of the English kings, right? Um, you don't believe in, you don't believe in Abraham Lincoln. You don't believe in George Washington, right? Jesus Christ is an absolute historical figure. Paul's going out of his way here. The scripture's going out of his way to make it clear that he died according to the scriptures, that he was buried, right? And that he was raised on the third day. It's not that, oh, you know, they're all kind of conspiracy theories. He never really died. He came off the cross and somehow was, you know, was revived, um, you know, uh, or, you know, um, he died and his body was stolen. All of these are conspiracy theories. Okay. The clear, most rational explanation is that, yes, he is a historical figure. He did die on the cross. He was indeed buried and he was raised on Easter Sunday, right? Actually, we change and we worship and we go to church on Sunday now because it used to be Saturday in the Jewish culture, but we changed to, to go to church and worship Jesus on Sunday mornings um, or Sunday evenings to, to coincide with Jesus being raised on the Sunday morning. Now, hear me, you can go to church and should go to church and, you know, church is not going to a building. It's, it's spending time with other believers and fellowshipping with other believers in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Certainly going to church on a Sunday or Wednesday is a good thing, but that's something we need to do, you know, seven days a week. You believe all this because it says it in your Bible. Verse five, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the 12. The 12 is just a reference. Um, you know, Judas was, was not with them anymore. Um, at this point, but a 12 is just, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it was a name used for the original 12 apostles. Um, you know, it, it, it singles out Peter here as, as, as Peter was, um, Peter had denied Jesus. And so the, you know, it very well could be that the Jesus came to encourage Peter and to, and to love on him. Right. And Peter is also the, going to be the a major leader in the early church, um, that he appeared to Peter, the resurrection the resurrected Jesus appeared to Peter, then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. And Paul says, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Paul's saying, you can go talk to him yourself. Over 500 men Jesus appeared to. Uh, the first person Jesus appeared to was Mary Magdalene. Paul doesn't put that in his record here. Um, because, I mean, Paul is giving a factual account of what happened. And in Jesus's day, the test, the testimony of a woman, um, wasn't valid, right? It's just another point that's so incredible in John 20, the first person to see Jesus alive is not one of the apostles. It's not the great Simon Peter. It's not the great apostle John, right? Um, it, it's a woman. Mary Magdalene is the first person to see Jesus alive. It's clearly recorded in John chapter 20. Um, and it's just another one of those aspects that just makes the Bible so real. Again, if you were going to make this up, you would never have the first person to see Jesus alive to be a, to be a woman. If you were going to make it up. But the first person to see Jesus is Mary Magdalene. And then Jesus commands her. To, to go inform his disciples 
that he's risen and where to meet him. So never would you do that either. Jesus commands Mary to go inform his disciples that he's risen and then instructs Mary to instruct the disciples. Incredible. Again, this is not something you would ever, ever do or write if any of this was going to be made up. He appeared to, to Peter, the 12, and then more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. So again, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, you can go talk to them now. Most of them are still alive. Go ask them. They saw the resurrected Christ. And, and because of that, this is why people were willing, these men were willing to give their lives for Jesus. All of the apostles were martyred except for John. They tried to kill John, but Jesus wouldn't let him die, right? Um, they wouldn't have given their lives for Jesus if history tells us that all the apostles gave their lives for Christ, right? They were martyred for Christ. You wouldn't do that if Jesus wasn't resurrected, right? No one would die for a dead Jesus, but we would give our lives for a resurrected Jesus, knowing that he is who he says he is, that he is our God and our Savior and our King, right? Verse 7, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Again, Paul did not walk with Jesus three and a half years like the other apostles did. Jesus appeared to him in a, in a different way, um, and but Paul is, is equal as an apostle, and as I already said, he wrote more books than, than anyone, right? He wrote 13 books in the, uh, in the New Testament, by far more than anyone, more than anyone in the Bible, right? No one wrote 13 books in the scriptures, right? The Apostle Paul's written more Bible books. Um, there are 66 books in the Bible. The Apostle Paul wrote 20% uh, wrote of them himself, wrote 13 of those books. And, uh, and, and these are his words. And um, it's Easter. Jesus Christ is risen today. So I'll, I'll ask you again, are you trusting and relying on Jesus Christ and him alone for the forgiveness of your sins, the salvation of your soul, and to bring you to heaven when you die? If not, rewind the, the tape, go back in, uh, in the video, and you can use the words that I used and receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you genuinely trust in Jesus Christ and you give your life to him, John 1.12 promises to all who received him, Jesus, to all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Romans 10.13 promises that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You will be saved. If you're a Christian today, begin to live for Jesus a little more. Let's you and I begin to, to give our life for him and to sacrifice for him more and more just in the, in the realization of of all that he, he not only has done, but does do and is doing for us. Remind yourself of this gospel. Remind yourself of the incredible love of Jesus Christ in becoming a human man for you. 
living a perfect life for you, dying uh, an excruciating, torturous death for you, and to worship him today, your risen Lord and Savior. Well, Father, we do thank you for your mercy and your goodness on our lives today. We thank you for your love. We thank you just for, for our Bible, Father. We thank you for the scriptures. But above all, Father, again, we thank you for Jesus. Lord Jesus, we worship you today. We thank you today. We celebrate you this Easter, Lord, our risen Savior. Lord, we ask you to help us to grow to know you in a more deep and intimate and profound way. Help us to live for you, Lord. Help us to obey you. Help us to learn to repent, Father, when we fall short. Jesus, we worship you today and we thank you. Holy Spirit, we ask you to seal the message to our hearts now. As we go, Holy Spirit, we ask that you'd give us eyes that we'd better see Jesus and ears that we'd better hear him. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.